so thank you that we can worship the name of Jesus Christ. That, that, that no matter what we are going through, that you, Christ Jesus, God, you, you, you know that moment. You have known that moment before the foundation of the earth. And so that moment that, that moment's not a surprise to you. And Father, you, you are so glorious and so good. And Father, it, it is not only um, just a weakness, but Father, just this week in my own heart and mind, you show me that very much can be sinful for us to not share your word and live out your word with boldness. But Father, because it, the world will not know of your goodness and your glory without your word being preached and being proclaimed, either through, through our stories as we tell them, as we live our life, or whether it's in pulpits or, or wherever it may be. Maybe it's on social media, Father, we can share the, the gloriousness of the gospel through our story. Give us that strength, Father. Give us that boldness. For it's in Christ's name that we ask that, Father. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, speak through me. That you speak through my brother, my friend, Tony, this morning as he preaches out of Luke. Father, as he starts that series. Be with my brother back as he preaches tonight. Father, thank you for the boldness of those men and other men that I know. May you bless in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. As we continue our, our series journey with the early church. Um, we're just walking with the early church verse by verse and section by section throughout, um, throughout the book of Acts. And just kind of looking and seeing what's going on in the early church. Um, I'd like to challenge you too, uh, and encourage you that um, if if you're able to, um, I know that um, Pastor Beck is preaching on Sunday nights in Galatians, and it's been an awesome series. I, unfortunately, I have not got to hear, hear it because I'm up with our students, but I, every week somebody comes to me and says, "Man, God said this through him and through the scriptures, and challenged me to get deeper." And then Wednesday nights, Pastor Tony is preaching through Revelation. So if you want to know what's happening or what will happen in the end, right there you go. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Um, we win, or Jesus wins, and, and we are with him. So good news, right? Amen. Last week, um, Jackson from the Hamilton County Association uh, shared with us and preached um, the passage uh, right before what we're, we're going to be looking at, and he talked about boldness and how, how we are to be bold for the glory of the gospel, how, how the apostles Peter and John were bold and, and they stood before the Sanhedrin and, and they, they told the story of what Jesus had done in their lives and what they had seen. And this morning we're going to continue that, that theme of boldness, but we're going to continue to the, the point of boldness in our prayer and how a prayer of boldness will shake the foundations of the church and how a prayer of boldness actually drives the church to a point of 
worshiping and telling our stories no matter what goes on around us. Even when the rulers and those around us tell us not to share our stories, if we are bold in our prayer, the Holy Spirit will give us words to say and give us the heart to say it and the mind to say it as we share. So that's where we're going. Is everybody clear right there with that? That's where we're heading. My prayers this morning, and has been all week, and I ask you to pray with me, is that through this, the Holy Spirit will shake the foundations of White Oak Baptist Church and will shake the foundations of this campus and, and, our, and our people in general. Because I believe that we have stories that make a difference. And we have a story that is one that people need to hear. When I say story, what, is I, what do I mean? I mean, you're in my testimony. We call it witnessing often, right? But let's, I want to change it to some modern day language and it's just changing a little bit and, and our stories our stories every one of us has a story to be told right how many of you have been saved for more than a year anybody everybody a lot of people you, you have a story that's a year old some of you have 50 years of story of how Jesus has worked in your life and how Jesus has walked you through some difficult valleys and, and difficult moments. You have stories of saying, man, God showed up, and if God wouldn't have showed up, this would have happened to me. You have those stories, and, and here's the thing about telling a story of what God's doing in your life. It doesn't matter what anybody says. They can't tell you that's not your story because they weren't in, in your flesh. They weren't in you. They probably weren't around you, and so if they tell you that's not real, you can look at them and say, then your story's not real. And they don't like that, do they? Because we want, we want our stories to mean something. Here's the thing. In Jesus, our stories mean more than we ever imagined. Throughout all of um, the church history, there have been stories. One of the early um, fathers of the church was a guy named Polycarp. Not a fish. But his name was Polycarp. A very interesting guy. If you go back and read church history, most theologians and most church historians believe that, that John the Apostle is the one who mentored Polycarp. And, and towards the end of John's life, he really poured into this guy. And, and, and Polycarp began to, to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire, so much to the point that Rome wanted to get rid of him. And Rome wanted to get rid of him because he refused to burn incense to the emperor. So here's what the emperor said. If you're not going to burn incense to me, I'm going to burn you. Polycarp was offered a chance to recant. And he said, no, I will not burn any incense or worship any other god other than Jesus Christ. And because of that, he was lit on fire. But here's the thing. Here's how glorious God is and how God wants to work. Because the Roman Empire said he is, his flesh is going to be the incense to our emperor. God says, no, it will not. And Polycarp did not burn up. They actually 
to kill him, they had to stab him to death. God says, I'm not going to allow that to happen. His body and flesh alive is not going to be worshipped to the emperor. Not only was there Polycarp, but to go a little bit more recent, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, theologian during World War II, was adamant about the gospel of Jesus Christ when other pastors in Germany were given in to the Nazi regime. regime Bonhoeffer was not. He was about preaching the gospel. He even wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship and what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. Bonhoeffer was so convinced of the gospel and so convinced that Hitler was of Satan that he participated in a plan to have Hitler executed. Well, the Nazi regime discovered that, arrested him, and two weeks before the American soldiers got into the concentration camp where he was at, he was hung. But to this day, Bonhoeffer is making a difference in the world. His story through his books still go on. One other before we read a passage, because you can read all through the New Testament and we see um, story after story of life change. But one other one that may touch our lives is this, the, the story of Jim Elliott and, and his friends in Ecuador. Most of us have either seen, read, or heard something about the Jim Elliott and his friends or seen the movie uh, The End of the Spear or something or read Elizabeth Elliott's book. But Jim Elliott and, and his friends had a passion for the Wandani tribe down in Ecuador that, that they needed to be reached. This is a tribe who was, in, was killing each other and others for the sake of, of just hatred. They didn't discipline someone when something went wrong. They killed them. And so Elliott and his friends wanted to, to reach them for Christ. And so they began to fly around and began to build a relationship to the point they thought that they had it. They land on a small little um, runway in Ecuador in the jungles. And for days they minister to the tribe or some of the people of the tribe. But unfortunately things turned against them. And with firearms on them or in the airplane, they were stabbed to death. They were speared to death, refusing to defend themselves for the sake of the gospel. More to that in just a moment. You see, those are stories that make a difference, do they not? You see, Polycarp's death did not stop the spread of Christianity, nor did the Roman Empire's persecution. Matter of fact, it drove the church to share the gospel even further. Bonhoeffer's message of the gospel did not stop the gospel in Germany or Europe. It pushed it even further. The gospel was not stopped with the death of Jim Elliot and his friends. The gospel continued on in Ecuador. This morning, I want us to see what happens when we see persecution the way it needs to be seen and we respond to it in the way that God wants us to respond. Here's what happens. Here's how that shakes the foundations of the church. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to, again, Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verse 23 through verse 31. And here's what Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against the Messiah, his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. This morning, there's four things that I want us to theologically um, take from this passage, to, to apply from this passage to our hearts, and it's this. Number one, that persecution leads to praise and prayer. Two, prayer that understands God's sovereignty and um, humanity's freedom. Three, that, that we will have a prayer of boldness. And four, when that prayer happens, the Holy Spirit moves. And so I'll repeat those as I go through, but those are the full four things that we're going to look at quickly this morning. But before we get to the, Jim Elliott said this in one of his statements. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We are only foolish, church, when we give up the gospel for the comfort of life. Because at that point, we lose everything and gain only a moment of comfort. But when we, when we give up what we think is everything for the sake of the gospel, we gain Christ and his goodness and lose nothing. So let's look at the text. First thing I want us to look at is verse 23 and 24, and it's this. Persecution leads to praise and prayer. The disciples, Peter and John, had just um, been with the Sanhedrin, had been kept overnight, um, and had been questioned um, uh, before the Sanhedrin council of, of whose name they were healing in. And they kept saying, in the name of Jesus, Jesus is the one who did the healing. We actually didn't do it. Jesus did the healing. And the, the, the Sanhedrin says, all right, then you still, um, we can't deny that the guy was healed. We can't deny what you're doing and saying, but we don't want you to say it anymore. And Peter and John says, well, i tell you what, um, we can't do that, and we're boldly going to still say the name of Jesus and preach the name of Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin again says, well, we can't really do anything because there's proof of this that's happened. Um, we know, and, and they knew that Jesus had done miracles, and so they had looked at it, but they still wanted them to stop, but they couldn't. They couldn't beat them. They couldn't do the things that they had the ability to do because the city would be in an uproar. 
See, they knew that the guy that had been sitting at the gate for 40 years or was 40 years old had been sitting at the gate for years and years was actually healed because they saw him day after day, month after month, year after year, just lame, just laying there. And now he's walking and he's praising God. They couldn't deny that. And so Peter and John say, we're, we're not going to hush. We're going to continue to do this. But they warn them again and, and, and they release them. And in the text it says this, after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In verse 30, 24 it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said. You see, Peter and John went back to their own people. What, what does that actually mean? Where, where were they going? Were they going back to now the church that was... 5,000 plus people were, were they proclaiming it to the whole church I don't think so I think when it says they went back to their own people I think they were going back to the 120 um, or so who had walked longer with Jesus who was with them in the upper room at Pentecost think of it this way they went back to their small group their group that had walked with them and talked with them and, and, and knew what it was like to be persecuted, they went back to them and, and they shared all that had happened. And, and in that, something miraculous happens. So often we think of when persecution comes, the first thing that, that we have done historically in the church, especially in America and, and in Europe, is this. When we are persecuted, we back up. We take a step back and say, okay, well, maybe I won't do that, and they'll leave me alone. We take it, and it continues, and they say, well, you can't do that now, and so we take another step back. For example, in America, what we've done is, is when the government says you can't do this in our schools, we take steps back. When they say you can't do this on public property or private public property, private property owned by the government, you can't do this. We take steps back. But that's not what happened. This persecution led to a time of prayer and praise. Go back to the story of Jim Elliott again and his, and his friends in Ecuador. You would think that their wives and their families at this point would say, okay, it's done. Our husbands are dead. There's nothing we can do. We, we need to leave. We need to go back to the States and gather our things and, and, and figure out what God wants now. But that's not what happened. These women had a passion, just as their husbands did, to reach the Wadani tribe. And so what did they do? They went into the jungle and they began to share the gospel with the Wadani tribe to the point of the Wadani seeing a love that they had never seen before and it began to prick their hearts as they began to share Christ with them using what Wadani's knew about sin and death and life and they share the gospel and the men who had stabbed their husbands come to Christ. Not only do they come to Christ, 
But the children of the missionaries who died began to see these men as their grandfathers and as their fathers and began to worship a God who is greater than anything else. Persecution didn't drive them to the point of going away and going home. It drove them to further dive into the mission of the gospel. But the problem that we have and and I have had in my own life is this. When we are pushed against and we're saying, don't do that, we we back off. We don't dive deeper into it. You say, well, there's laws of the land. We've got to obey the laws of the land. There was laws here. The, The Sanhedrin had the responsibility of saying, you can do this, you can't do this. They were the governing authority of Israel. And they were saying, don't do this. And what did they say? We're not going to do that. We can't deny what God is doing. And so I'm going to make a bold statement here for my life and your life. It is right and it is good to go against our government when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to stand for the gospel and disobey. And that, I know, publicly can get me in trouble. And this is podcast, so people can hear this. But God in my spirit this week worked and said, we have to be obedient to the gospel and work for the gospel. And that means as our government and as our people say, you can't do that. We can say, but God says, I have to. And so we do that. We do it, yes, peacefully. We don't do it in in a way that is harmful to others, but we do it in a way that shows the love of Christ. So my question to us and to myself this morning is, what will persecution do to us? Will we continue to back up? Will we continue to do what some of our other brothers and sisters have done in other denominations and other places? Will we back off the gospel and and give in and, and, and bring comfort to our lives or will we push further into society with the gospel I think we have biblical proof here that when persecution comes it should drive us deeper into the gospel not backwards are you with me here So, so we, first of all, we see this idea that persecution leads to praise and prayer. It, it's not prayer of, of thank you, God, that Peter and John are back. But it's a prayer of boldness. As a matter of fact, they didn't ever even uttered the words, thank you, Lord, that Peter and John are safe. Look at the next point that I have this morning. Prayer that understands God's sovereignty and humanity's responsibility or freedom. Look at verses 24 through 30. This is their their prayer. The last part of verse 24 says this, Masters, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. 
For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness. while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. One of the things that I think we have to understand when we pray, and I believe that the early church understood here in this prayer, is that God is sovereign. That God has known all things from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. There is nothing that happens that surprises him. There's nothing that's going to come up against him in his church that he is not already knowing and working in. That he already has a plan that's going to work. His plan cannot be forded. His plan cannot be destroyed. And they understand that, that no matter what the Sanhedrin Council or even the Roman Empire says, cannot destroy the message and the sovereignty of God and even the responsibility that we as humans have of sharing the gospel. That God's sovereignty and man's responsibility go hand in hand together. That, that when he is at work, we are to be there at work with him under that plan. We are not to go against that plan, but to work with it. And the reality is this, is that, that God is going to work out his plans even when we are chicken and do not work for him. His plan is not destroyed at that moment. And so the reality is this, is if every church in Chattanooga uh, began to close and, and because of their unwillingness to take the gospel to this community and God says, I'm taking my hand off that place, that place, that place, that place, and he just begins to take his hands off. That doesn't mean that God's plan for, the, for Chattanooga would, would be destroyed. God would still work within the midst of the remnant. God is always working in the midst of the remnant. And so here we have these, these early disciples praying something. They're, they're making a prayer. They're making a statement. They're saying that, that prayer reflects both a deep acknowledgement of human responsibility and a deep trust in God's wisdom and a sovereign direction of the detailed events of human history. And they began to, to quote scripture. They begin to quote out of a coronation psalm. Out of Psalms chapter 2, they quote Psalms 2, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire against the Lord and his anointed. When they quote Psalms 2, verse 1 and 2, a, a psalm of coronation of Jesus Christ, one where David is saying, there is a king coming, he will sit on the throne, and he is good, and he is glorious, and he is powerful to save, and the nations and Israel will try to go against him, but they can't. You see, they make a grand statement here that they're, they're quoting that and they're making connection to Christ. It says, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together. 
the Jews did not like the Romans. The Sanhedrin did not like Pilate. The high priest and, and Pilate were not buddies. They actually had different plans and different thoughts. You see, the Sanhedrin wanted the Messiah to come to free them from Rome. They wanted a Messiah to come to kick Pilate and Rome out. But the Messiah that came did something radically different. And because of that, there seemed to be a threat to the Sanhedrin and their understanding of the Messiah. And so they worked with Pilate. And just as David had wrote a thousand years before that, the Jews and the Gentiles will work together to try to destroy the anointed one. But that won't happen. Let me give us all clear warning and understanding here. That's still going on today. People are still plotting and planning to destroy the message of the gospel. They will never work with us for the sake of the gospel. Never. And because of that, we need to understand how to pray and understand that God is sovereign. And I love their prayer because it was one of saying, God, give us everything we need to withstand the persecution and to stand for the gospel. Heather Newberry has been to, spent a summer in Italy a few years ago. A place where the gospel radically spread in the early church. But I promise you, you have a conversation with her, she will tell you how they speak against the gospel. Now, even in a Catholic setting, they are speaking against the gospel. They are fighting against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Europe, that was once a great place of the gospel of Jesus Christ now, is growing at such alarming rates of atheism and Islam. In the United States, a group called the nuns is growing at such a rapid rate. What's the nuns? They believe that really that nothing really matters. There is no God, or if there is a God, he doesn't really care. They're growing at such a rapid rate. They're taking over our schools. They're taking over our institutions. They are taking over. And here's what has happened in Western civilization. We have backed up, backed up, backed up. But God has still worked. You know where God is working now? Places like Iraq and Africa and the Middle East where believers are praying for boldness and persecution. I want to close this section with saying this. Back in April, some of us had the opportunity, um, anybody could watch it, you can go back and watch it now on Radical.org, but David Platt's um, series, what he calls the, the Secret Church, you can go back and watch it. And one of the things that you can see is believers in places like Indonesia where it is illegal to come to Christ, 
that the believers were not praying for comfort and peace, but their prayer from believers in Indi Indonesia were not, please bring us peace and comfort to our country, but it was, give us boldness. Pray that we have boldness in the midst of persecution. Stories in Africa were that, are, are that today. But what do we pray? What do I pray? God, take this situation from me so I don't have to suffer through this. Over and over in the scripture, we don't see that. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, or chapter 6, excuse me, in verse 19, Paul says this, Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. You see, when we pray this boldness, when we pray this kind of prayer, the third thing that happens, we really begin to pray and seek the boldness of Christ. In verse 29, and I'm going to move quickly on this point, but verse 29 is this. I love what verse 29 says. It says, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants may speak your word with all boldness. They're not asking for comfort. They're not asking for anything other than the Holy Spirit to give them boldness. Does that mean we can't pray for comfort? No, it doesn't mean that. And that's, and that's we can do that, and it's right to do that. But the reality is, comfort oftentimes does not lead us to sharing the faith more. Matter of fact, the church has been very comfortable in America since the founding, right? And that comfort has led us to laziness. How many of you have been on vacation and you come back ready and fired up to go to work? Anybody? You actually come back from vacation wanting what? A vacation from vacation. That, that time off, if time at the beach or wherever you may be, leads to more laziness, does it not? Getting comfortable doesn't never leads us to ready to, to go. I'll give you an illustration of that before we move on. Yesterday, thankfully, after 11 straight SEC defeats, Tennessee beat Auburn. And you're like, how in the world does that have to do with anything? It doesn't other than this. The week off that Tennessee had wasn't a week of rest. Coach Pruitt put that team through the most difficult week of preparation they had had all year. And it pushed them to the point of getting better. I just use that illustration for this simple fact. Us taking a week off just to rest for the sake of just stepping back and doing something never leads to victory in the end. We got to keep working and building and praying for boldness. Thirdly, or fourthly and lastly this morning, as we look at this text, we find the conclusion in verse 31. Prayer that leads to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Look what happens after they prayed. 
when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. How many of you crave to be in a place, whether here or your own prayer closet at home or wherever you may be, small group, where at the end of your prayer time, there is such a movement of the Holy Spirit that the place shakes and you are so filled that you want to just go out and speak it boldly. Does anybody crave that? I do. I crave that for us, that our prayer will be so in tune with the glorious plan of God that we will so pray as He wants us to pray, that we will be so in touch with the Holy Spirit that when we, when we pray that, our hearts are yearning even more for that. And when we say, Amen, Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit to the point of it shakes the foundation of where we're at. Do I believe that God can still shake the foundations of the church? I do. Over and over, you can read through revival history where God's people, somebody started praying. And all of a sudden, God began to work and, and God began to shake things. Back in, I think it was in the 1970s, in Asbury College in Kentucky, God began to move. People began to pray. And all of a sudden at a prayer service, Christians or so-called Christians in a Christian college began to come forward and confess their sins, bring their alcohol, bring their stuff, and God began to move in such a mighty way that revival broke out and began to shake the foundations of everything that existed there. That's the kind of prayer that we need. kind of prayer that we have to have because I am convicted this week that if we as the church of Jesus Christ do not start praying this we continue to, to back off and do the things we will do we're not a generation away from, from dying as a church in, in America but we are years away from dying when I first got into ministry, I kept saying, if we don't reach this generation, we've lost. But reality is, is that statement was a generation too late. We had already begun to lose the battle. And it, and it doesn't mean that we can't get back into it. Because we may have lost the battle at that moment but we've won the war because Christ has won the war. How many of you heard somebody say this? I'm on, so on fire for Jesus that I'm willing to take on hell with a water pistol. Our older people have. You've probably heard it in a revival. 
But the reality is, is we don't have to take on hell with a water pistol. Christ has already defeated it. What we need to do is take on the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, it's not about church being fun. Because I'll be honest with you, I have more fun here than anywhere. And I'm not like a jokester or anything. You guys know that. But I have more peace and fun here with God's people than anywhere else. You know why? Because we have the same heart and the same Savior. Now, as we close, and as the worship team gets ready to come up in just a moment, I want to ask that we do something. I want to ask that we pray this kind of boldness for ourselves and for our church and for our campus or campuses. I pray this morning that we will have boldness. That when we leave this place, we will not leave just comforted by the Holy Spirit, but we will leave challenged to share the word my prayer is just as that Asbury revival began and went for days and days and weeks that God shakes us right here right now where we want to be back and we want to be involved and we want to walk out with boldness and so here's how we're going to do this as we close in prayer I'm going to pray, and if you're willing to echo and pray with me, I'm going to ask that you pray after me, and we're going to pray until God says we're done, and then we're going to respond to worship through song. So you may be sitting in your seat. You may want to come up here and pray. You may, wherever you want to, but I'm asking with all seriousness that this morning we pray for boldness knowing that God is sovereign and there is nothing in the world that can defeat us. Jesus says to us, should we fear those who could just kill the body or do we fear the one who can kill the body and the soul? I want us to have a reverent fear Jesus Christ. So, Father, this morning, in the name of Christ Jesus, I ask that you give us boldness. That, God, you shake the foundations of this place. That you shake the foundations of this, of, of this church. That you shake the foundations of our people. That you shake the foundations of our pastors. That you shake the foundations of our deacons. That you shake us to the point of where we are so bold, Father, to take out the gloriousness of the gospel, that you would give us what we need, Father, in that moment, that our stories would be stories told for generations of, of, of the gloriousness of how the gospel went because of the boldness. Father, if you don't return, God, my prayers that my son will be able to tell the story 
my daughter will be able to tell the story of a boldness, and they will have a boldness for the gospel. God, every night as Katie and I pray, God, we've prayed in our own prayers, God, that you would save our children, that you would give them boldness. God, I pray right now for boldness. Anybody else wants to pray? Father, shake us, fill us as we respond to your word preached and song to you. In Christ's name, amen. If you'll stand with me.